Christmas, boys and girls, ladies and gents, welcome in to the Full 10 Yards NFL podcast as we reach the final week of the NFL regular season. I'm joined this evening by Lawrence. How are you, my friend? Pretty good, pretty good. Apart from the fact I've spent 12 waking hours in the last 24 building my six-year-old daughter a bed. So for anybody out there who's had the joy of creating anything flat pack as a Christmas gift for a child, I feel your pain. Certainly do, mate. I'm sure everybody's been searching for the batteries and the screwdrivers over the last few days, whatever day you're happening to listen to us. If it's pre-Christmas, we hope you have a great one. If it's post-Christmas, we hope you've had a good one. But anyway, that's enough of the festivities for now. Let's get in to reviewing what was week 16 in the NFL as we head over to first down. Okay, so opening up first down, we had some bonus action of Saturday Night Football. Santa indeed did come early, and he delivered a huge present to those Houston Texans, Lawrence, as they claimed the AFC South division. Yeah, a bit of of breaking news. I think ESPN are about to commission a new 30 for 30 documentary with one game to go against the yo-yo Atlanta Falcons team. The Buccaneers quarterback, Jameis Winston, could become, I think, the first NFL quarterback to throw over 30 touchdowns and 30 interceptions. So he's already smashed the touchdown barrier with 31, and he needs just two more pickoffs to get to 30 for a season. I mean, the fact that the guy's still there is incredible. Um, and and I've kind of come on to um, you know the, the amount of yards that he's passed for as well, which, which is insane. Um, I think there's some inevitabilities in life. The sun sets, the sun rises, and James Winston throws an interception in the first half of a game. On Saturday against the um, the Texans, he decided to wait just about 48 seconds to wrap up a seasonal gift for the Texans. Bradley Roby coasted 27 yards for a pick six for the opening score. Teams then exchanged field goals before Carlos Hyde who's already gone over 1,000 yards, I think impressed a lot of people um, with, with quite low expectations from him at the start of the season. So coming out with 1,000 with a week to go, pretty, pretty impressive stuff. He went over on a one-yard dive. Much like the Ravens, the Buccaneers decided to wait until the, the two-minute warning. I think, Sean, you got flashbacks of the pain um, of the two-minute warning from the first half of Sunday's game. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about that in a bit. It's still raw. <laughs> um, so Bucks decided to, you know, they, kind of two minutes left, um, nine play drive, Ronald Jones four yard touchdown, um, league was cut to seven, and then Deshaun Watson decided to reciprocate the gift of an interception. Winston drives thirty nine yards in twenty nine seconds, hits Justin Watson for the tying score. The offensive attack by both teams then looked like. Maggie, the personal assistant at the office Christmas party, slightly squiffy and disorientated in the second half, with only field goals exchanged in the third quarter. And then somehow, with with the game kind of fading away into obscurity, um, Deshaun Watson managed a 10-play fourth-quarter drive and Kami Fairbarn kicked the winner with 7-11 left. Um, That was the Texans winning their division and I think, if my calculations are right, a home wildcard game. I mean, this was a really weird contest where the Bucks turned the ball over five times, but still only lose by three, you know, sort of halfway through the fourth quarter. Unfortunately for the Buccaneers, that was their four-game win streak snapped. And James Winston is likely now, because of Dak Prescott's failings, to get the passing crown in terms of yardage for the 2019 season. And a little side note here, he only needs 570 yards passing against a pretty porous Falcons defence. And he'd actually become the all-time leading passer in a season in NFL history. 
So 570 yards is the is the count um, next weekend. Yeah, you certainly wouldn't put it past him. He's obviously an infuriating quarterback. He certainly polarises opinion, even amongst the staff here at full 10 yards. There's a few of us that very much are in the throw him in the bin and move on category and others that think he's got something salvageable. He's certainly exciting, that's for sure. Uh, the excitement in the second game on Saturday came on the defensive side of the ball, which myself and Ewan kind of predicted would be the case when we were together at the back end of last week. We said this would be a game that would probably be decided by who was the most effective when it came to running the ball. And that proved to be the New England Patriots who continue to find a way to get the job done. And they dominate the time of possession in this one. Patriots holding the ball for 39 minutes compared to the Bills, 21 and paced on the ground by Sony Michelle, who has been relatively quiet this season, it's fair to say. But he had a nice game in this one. 21 carries for 96 yards. He thought he got his first touchdown, what seems like an eternity, um, but that was whistled back by a flag uh, on the subsequent play. Rex Burkhead actually took over in the backfield, and wouldn't you know, he was the one who went in for a touchdown. So Michelle didn't find the end zone, but certainly a nice bounce-back game for him. Bounce-back game in, in truth for the Patriots' offence, and it's no surprise to see that happen with Julian Edelman back in the lineup. It just looks a much more well-drilled machine with him involved. He certainly um, gave them a little bit of a spark. Won't surprise you to know that he led the team in both targets and receptions, finished with five receptions for 72 yards, including a big grab on a two-point play, um, which the Patriots secured um, as they were training going into the fourth quarter. Uh, the Bills were leading at that stage by a score of 17 points to 13. But a fourth quarter comeback gets the job done. And for the Bills, slightly disappointing really. Devin Singletree sort of bottled up on the ground here, um, only averaging three yards a carry, 46 yards from his 15 attempts. John Brown kept in check. The one pass he did receive was a big one, 53 yards, but that was his only reception on the day. And outside of Cole Beasley, who had himself a, a hell of a nice day, he had seven grabs for 108 yards. It was pretty anemic the rest of the way. Josh Allen completed around about 50% of his passes. No real surprise there, accuracy. Obviously not his forte. He didn't turn the ball over, however, and did add some yards scrambling on the ground. Seven for 43, as the Bills continue to prove that they are a formidable opponent. Quite possibly, though, not really lucky at not really having the true sort of superstars to take them to that next level. I think the coaching staff can, you know, toast a glass this Christmas to a hell of a job that they have done because they're probably, you know, outperforming their talent level. Um, they're certainly well coached, well drilled, and competitive in games. Unfortunately for this one, they came just up against a slightly better defence. The Bills did have a chance to potentially go and tie the game up and force overtime as they did have first and goal from the eight-yard line towards the end of the fourth quarter. But four consecutive stops from that New England defence, the first on a Josh Allen scramble and then three consecutive pass plays uh, got the job done for New England and they secure an 11th straight AFC East title. For Buffalo, they're secure in a wildcard place. And again, they will take plenty of heart from a, another tight defeat. The only sort of concern, obviously, if you are a fan of Buffalo, is once you get to the playoffs and these teams you know, will then all be the ones that you would expect to be there. They'll be the ones that have earned it over the course of the year. Can the Bills put a performance together to knock off a team with a hugely impressive winning record? That's something that so far they have failed to do, um, but they've obviously got a couple of weeks to get things sorted out. A team that would love the opportunity but won't. The Super Bowl hangover completely confirmed there as the Rams are eliminated from playoff contention, mate, in Saturday's late game. Yeah, it was the, the Niners who absolutely squashed the Rams' playoff aspirations with that. Impressive three-point win. The result does, unfortunately, pale into the background um, as news broke kind of before kickoff that CJ Bethard, the Niners' third-string quarterback, um, his brother died after being stabbed in a Nashville bar. So very, very sad news. And I think the the 49ers were really kind of playing this one for um, CJ, CJ Bethard um, and his brother. And, and kind of the quotes at the end of the game, they were very much kind of very saddened by this. I mean, 
George Kittle plays on the same college team with CJ Bethard. So they go way back and George Kittle knows all of the, the Bethard family. So, so very, very sad news in, in what's supposed to be a, a very, very kind of festive, happy family time. So moving into the game, Jimmy Garoppolo was again on form, converting not one, but two third and 16s in the final two minutes. Um, he also took two sacks in that final drive. So, you know, talk about coming back from some adversity there, which is a, which is a great thing to happen as you head into the playoffs. So kind of a, a, quite a defining drive for Garoppolo there. Um, led to a Robbie Gould 33-yard field goal with no time remaining to, to seal the game. Really was a fantastic game from start to finish. Four lead changes. And my, my little, I love looking at the little ESPN graph. And with 12 minutes left in the game, the Rams actually had an 83% chance of winning um, after they, they, kind of, they had a, a possession and they were kind of driving. So, you know, real credit to the 49ers for coming back there. Rams finished with more yards, more time of possession and more first downs. But pretty much like their season, they failed to get the win. And as a result, they relinquished their division crown and their NFC conference crown as well with a bit of a whimper. Um, more big catches from the 49ers, sort of all-pro tight end George Kittle, who's now been targeted by a team leading 100 times. Kittle needs just 33 yards to get to 1,000. And the running game for the 49ers, again headed up by Raheem Mostert, who scored for a fifth consecutive game on the ground and is the first 49er to do that in almost a quarter of a century. Um, this goes back to Derek Coleman in 1994, the last time they had um, a running back get five get touchdowns in five consecutive games on the ground. So 49ers now standing at 12-3, and three, travel to Seattle to decide the NFC West in a massively significant game in terms of seeding. Both teams are qualified, but this is all about the seeding now. Good to see this game's been flexed into Sunday night, so everyone around the world gets to see this game as a, as a standalone game, and it really finishes off the regular season in style. It is worrying that the 49ers well-respected defence has actually allowed 99 points in their last three games in total, including 31 on Sunday. New Orleans and San Francisco are both standing at 12-3, and three, and if both win, 49ers will be the number one seed, courtesy of that ginormous 48-46 um, Week 14 win. Yeah, it goes to show how important each and every week is. Tiebreaker is certainly going to play a factor in the NFC. We'll get you caught up with that as we move through the podcast. Talking of those Saints, let's kick off the Sunday night action there as the Saints travelled across to Tennessee in a game that was um, not actually all that important for the Titans in a bizarre way um, due to other results that happened on Saturday with the Texans winning. Um, however, for the Saints, obviously, implications from a seeding perspective. But it was the Titans that jumped out early in this one. They took a 14 to nothing lead. Jonu Smith, who you gave a shout-out to last week, Lawrence, again showed his turn of foot um, as he took a pass and, and scampered 41 yards to the end zone. And then another scamper of a different variety from AJ Brown, who got involved in the rushing game. Bit of creativity there from Arthur Smith in the Tennessee playbook. And all of a sudden, in the blink of an eye, it was 14-0 Titans. And it was all looking pretty good. Uh, however, then came 24 unanswered Saints points. Uh, Alvin Kamara, is he finally warming up just at the right time? He ends up with a couple of rushing touchdowns on this one. And it's got to be one of his better statistical days with you know only 80 yards rushing. But that was from only 11 attempts plus those two touchdowns, also involved in the passing game as usual, six receptions through the air for 30 yards. That will be a huge boost to the Saints moving forward if he is indeed coming into form. Um, but a man who has been in red-hot form all throughout the year and a massive congratulations to Michael Thomas, who we've been on record watch, mate, for the last few weeks. We thought he may well do it convincingly. He's done it with a game to spare. What a performance here. I think it's safe to say that Sean Payton and Drew Brees wanted him to get the record. He was targeted a whopping 17 times in this one. 
he finished with 12 grabs, 136 yards and a touchdown just to put the cherry on top of the Christmas pudding. Um, and, you know, what a fabulous record. The Marvin Harrison record has stood for 16 years, is it, mate? 16 or 17 years that stood for? Um, it's been a yeah, long it's... time. I mean, it, it was. I mean, it, I, it was absolutely, absolutely awesome to see, um, just see him kept getting targeted. And when he had that, when he had that catch and he thought he broke the record with a touchdown and then they, they kind of had to review it and it turned out that he was, it was at the one yard line. I just thought it was great that then he, he kind of did a crossing route in the end zone and then caught that touchdown to, to make it 145 catches. So it was just, it was just amazing. Everyone knew in the entire stadium, everyone watching around the world knew that he was being targeted, but he still kept finding space. It was just, just incredible, just incredible. I mean, he, he was just, he, he's beyond being in the zone. He's in, he's in some kind of just, he's, wherever he is, it's, a, it's an amazing place to be. So absolute credit to him. Huge, huge game. And, a, and, a, and what an amazing season. Indeed, the most appropriate Twitter handle in the world. Can't go, can't guard Mike. He's absolutely true. Um, so that was in the um, fourth quarter as the Saints iced this one away. The um, the Titans, you know, competitive yet again. Tajay Sharp got a couple of touchdowns here from Tannehill. He continues to look decent. Finished with a passer rating of 118.2. Uh, sorry, 133.6. It was Breeze with 118.2. Um, so Tannehill, you know, certainly still in command of this offense. They appear to have rested Derrick Henry in this one. He was downgraded to questionable and ultimately held out. I think that very much is because of the Texans' result from Saturday. As I said, in a in a strange way, this game didn't mean an awful lot to the Titans, and I think it was probably prudent, therefore to rest Derrick Henry up as they go into the big end-of-season matchup with the Texans. Obviously, if they win that one, they now control their own path to the postseason. Um, so probably a prudent decision on behalf of the Titans, but we'll wait and see if it pays off. Um, a team that you know seemingly have had to play backups all throughout the season, but still find themselves now atop of the NFC East Division, Lawrence, is the Philadelphia Eagles, as unfortunately the Dallas Cowboys like yet another egg when it matters most. And the um, the Eagles, like I say, take control of that division for the time being. Yeah, I can. I feel for you, Tim. I bet you're crying into your eggnog as we speak. The NFC least took another twist as the Eagles eked out an ugly Christmas jumper of a win to move one game ahead of the frustrating and disappointing Cowboys who need an absolute Christmas miracle of their own in Week 17 to get into the playoffs now. In a scheduling quirk, we've, we've seen not only Week 16, but also Week 17 is just NFC East versus NFC East, which is a, it's, it's a funny kind of quirk. But we're all, they're all just, everyone's kind of playing each other. We've got to remember that the Eagles stood at five and seven at the end of week 13. And they're now on a three-game win streak after sweeping the entire NFC East division in the month of December. So into the game, first half was tight as went through one touchdown to the impressive number two tight end, Dallas Goddard, who's playing for a, um, a banged-up Zach Ertz to help the Eagles go 10-0 up before Kai Forbath notched two second-quarter field goals. And we go into the half 10-6, so all to play for. I mean, it, was, it really was a hard game to watch. And the Cowboys continue to look out of sorts. Again, Dak Prescott keep, kept missing targets. Zeke was weak as he chickened out of any touchdown action, unlike the Eagles' rookie running back Colonel Miles Sanders whose one-yard run capped an 80-yard third-quarter drive, and it was only the it was only the it was the only second-half touchdown of the game, and it was fitting that the game effectively ended with a Prescott incompletion in the end zone, deflected by the much-maligned Eagles cornerback Sidney Jones. Cowboys have only one win in their last five, and they're going to be welcoming a Redskins team in Week 17, who are going to be led by Case Keener who will be playing without a care in the world. The Eagles go into the Big Apple in Week 17, hoping it won't be a golden, taped, delicious performance. 
You've been working on that pun all night, haven't you, my friend? <laughs> been trying, been trying. Top man. Right, that's the big games from the weekend. Let's whiz through the rest as we move over to second down. Second down. Okay, number of other games to whiz through here. So let's go fast and furious, Lawrence. I'll come to you to get your views on a group of them shortly. Uh, Atlanta jump out early and effectively hold on to take this one 24-12 against Jacksonville. Matt Ryan, big game through the air, 384 yards. Gardner Minshew, not exactly excelling in his audition to retain that starting job in Jacksonville. Just 13 of 31 uh, for him in this one. The Kansas City Chiefs were on Sunday night football. Haven't talked about it in the TV review game because we said at the time it was a dud of a game to go that way. And it turns out that way to be a blowout. Kansas City 26, Chicago 3. Nice um, little celebration from Patrick Mahomes, counting all the way to 10 on his fingers, just to demonstrate to those Chicago fans what they could have had in the draft when obviously they took Mitchell Trubisky. I'm sure a decision they will regret for many a long time. Carolina gave Will Greer his first start and the Indianapolis Colts absolutely feasted. Uh, Greer with a couple of interceptions in this one, but a game that saw a couple of punt returns in the same game and from the same player. So something you don't see all that often. Uh, Indianapolis with a big win. Um, unfortunately for them, another one that's come far too late in the season. Jacoby Brissett, very, very pedestrian under centre. Obviously didn't need to do a lot with that help from special teams, but less than 120 yards passing as his season continues to fizzle out. Just in terms of those three, Lawrence, anything that caught your eye? Yeah, I mean, I'm... I... Dead impressed by Naeem Hines' two punt returns for touchdowns. I think that's the first time since Reggie Bush managed it um, within the last decade. And this from a third down back who, who's kind of been in the shadow of Marlon Mack all season. So he's, he's trying to find some, some time to kind of show his skills. So, you know, really, really impressive end to the season. Um, for the for the Falcons, they they just can't make up their minds who they are. Matt Ryan continues to have three hundred yard passing games, and he's going to finish with a with a big, huge yardage season. But obviously, the the wins haven't come with it. So yeah, um, you know, it's a shame for these teams that they they either have a good offense or a good defense. But these the teams that are that are not making the playoffs have have big weaknesses, and and it's shown through the through the whole of the season really. Absolutely, mate. Let's get through the next group of fixtures. Denver and Detroit. Denver win this one 27-17. Detroit's seemingly never-ending losing streak continues. They obviously can't wait for the season to end because they know that David Blow isn't the guy they want behind centre. They'll be delighted to get Matt Stafford back next year. For Denver, continued evaluation of Drew Locke, obviously important for them as Vic Fangio tries to build something to head into his first full off-season, ready for his second season at the helm. Really exciting game in Miami. Unbelievable one, really, this one. You know, hundreds and hundreds of yards racked up by the quarterbacks. I think a grand total of 815 passing yards between Dalton and Fitzpatrick and eight touchdowns to boot in an absolute thriller in Miami. The Bengals down big, get points throughout the fourth quarter, including an onside kick recovery, a Hail Mary and the subsequent two-point conversion. But ultimately, overtime becomes a bit of a slugfest and the Miami Dolphins find a way to get it done, kicking a field goal as time expires. Pittsburgh and the Jets. Pittsburgh flipping and flopping at quarterback. Obviously, with it being Christmas, Mason Rudolph was bound to get on the field. Uh, bada bing, bada bing. He certainly did in this one. Duck Hodges hit the bench, but then Rudolph got himself injured. Fancy Rudolph getting injured at this time of year. Uh, hopefully, that won't delay any present delivery. Um, but whoever was at quarterback was getting bamboozled by... Greg Williams and his defence in New York and the Jets win this one 16-10. to 10. Uh, Lawrence, come back to you, mate. Those three games, obviously the, the high-scoring one was the one that um, I mentioned in Miami. Uh, the, the important one in that one was probably the Pittsburgh game and they came out flat, which you know has been an accusation thrown at Mike Tomlin down the years that they play up or down to the level of competition. Uh, and obviously going into this one, they held, so, you know, pretty much most of the aces from a playoff positioning perspective, but obviously give them up with a big loss here. 
Yeah, the Steelers have had a. I mean, it's it is pretty much a miracle that they've they're heading into week seventeen with a winning record, considering their their injuries that they've had. They lost Big Ben early in the season. Juju Smith-Schuster has proven that he is not a clear-cut number one receiver. He's been hurt himself, but he just has not taken the mantle. And we kind of forget about um, the lovely kind of the missing Antonio Brown and, and Le'Veon Bell. So, I mean, this, this technically was a, was a revenge match for Le'Veon Bell. But again, he didn't light up the scoreboard with his stats or, or anything important. So, Again, with the with the Jets, they 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 they're having some convincing wins, and I think that they've got things to take away from the end of the season. But it ultimately, it's been frustrating. They're not going to finish the season with a winning record. And then for the for the most unfortunate team in the entire NFL, the Bengals. I mean, they scored twenty three points in the fourth quarter, including sixteen in the last thirty seconds. There was me talking about it. Um, I think only a week ago that can't think of a team that scored two touchdowns in the last 30 seconds of a game. And then the Bengals go and do it the week after. But they still managed to lose. And, yep, that means they will be the number one pick in the 2020 draft unless they decide to trade it away. Yeah, absolutely. All's well that ends well, you might say, in regards to that one. And as you say, the boys over in college will be getting all excited as draft season just around the corner. Uh, let's continue to whiz through the rest of the games. Baltimore lock up the number one seed in the AFC and the home field advantage. So everything will be running through Baltimore from the AFC perspective. A game that Cleveland dominate for 28 minutes and score six points and Baltimore dominate for the other 32 and score 31 points. That is quite simply the difference in this one. We'll talk about it more in Jason Garrett corner, no doubt. Uh, Oakland and the LA Chargers. Um, Oakland get a big win in this one and still mathematically are actually in playoff contention, which I'll bring you up to speed within fourth down. And it's not beyond the realms of possibility, let me tell you, ladies and gents. The Raiders do have a squeaky good chance, potentially, when I talk about the fixtures coming up later. Uh, for the Chargers, is it potentially a swan song for Philip Rivers? Um, you know, lots of stuff coming out in the press. And again, another home game dominated by away support. Um, really, really do feel for any fans of what was the San Diego Chargers, because obviously that move to LA certainly currently doesn't seem to be bearing any fruit, mate. No, I mean, it's for, for the, the few remaining hardcore Chargers fans that are going to the game, it's got to be demoralising turning up in, in front of such a small crowd, there there is a there, there's a myth going out there that they haven't got any fans. They do. There is a there is a hardcore fan base for the Chargers, but it's small, and I and I really do feel sorry for them. Austin Eckler's played absolutely out of his socks for the entire season, and he's he's not going to get any recognition at all. Um, it's 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 a real shame. The, you you had that Chargers team that for the kind of the the early part of this decade they were seen as a real strong contender for for reaching a super bowl for even potentially winning a super bowl and then they they tend to do that one and done in the playoffs and now to just be you know completely obscure um and and sort of go into the season you know absolutely dead in the water it's a real shame real shame for chargers fans no, absolutely. Uh, last two on the schedule then from Sunday to whiz through. Surprise results of the weekend, really. The Arizona Cardinals go into Seattle and get a big win, 27-13 to 13 in this one. Uh, Seattle, though, potentially bigger news is actually all the injuries they pick up at running back as a couple of theirs go down. Talk today that Beast Mode may be back and we may see Marshawn Lynch in a Seattle uniform. Um, so that will be interesting to note moving forward. Probably confirms Lamar Jackson as the MVP, not the day that Russell Wilson wanted just less than 50% of his passes in a home defeat and an Arizona side who, you know, have played well at times this season. So it'll be interesting to see how they continue to develop. Kyler Murray certainly looks like an exciting prospect behind centre. And the last game of the weekend, you could say we save the best till last, mate. Washington and the New York Giants. Um, another high-scoring affair, another one that goes to overtime, another one tied at 35 apiece at the end of regulation. 
and career day for Daniel Jones with five touchdown passes through the air and a career day for Saquon Barkley with 189 rushing yards. Um, obviously, for the, the Redskins, you've already alluded to it. Uh, Dwayne Haskins goes down with an injury in case Keenum comes in. Um, so it'll be case Keenum to finish out the season for your skins, buddy. I'm, I'm just lost for words. It, again, it just gets it just gets harder and harder. I'd I'd rather talk about the fact that from the the Cardinals game, Chandler Jones had four sacks and now leads the NFL clearly with 19 sacks, and he he has a crack at the the all-time record, and he could do it legitimately, unlike the the current holder who had that that cheeky um, Michael Strahan on on Brett Favre kind of fake I'm gonna I'm gonna make you look good type of sack. So hopefully Chandler Jones can do something next week. I really don't want to talk about the Redskins, but I will. I'll save it for Jason Garrett Corner. Oh, this will be fun, mate. Both of our coaches are being thrown in there. Can't wait. We'll get onto that very shortly. Last one of the week hasn't happened yet, but just quickly because it's a huge game, just get a quick prediction. Lawrence Green Bay, Minnesota, Monday night football. We're recording this on a Monday night. How do you see this one going? Oh, it's that notorious stat, isn't it, about Kirk Cousins and um, Monday night football that he's absolutely abysmal in it. But I'll stick my neck out now and say that he is going to snap that horrible losing streak and then just cause utter chaos in terms of the NFC seedings. So I'll go for a Vikings win by seven. Yeah, should be a good game. I've been hot on the Vikings all year, as any regular listeners to this podcast will know. So I will agree with your selection there, mate, and I'll take the Vikings as well. Right, that's what we had in week 16. So we've already given you a little bit of a sneak peek. Let's move across to Jason Garrett Corner and me and Lawrence can vent a little bit. All you do, Jason Garrett, is clap your hands. All you do, Jason Garrett, is clap your hands. Jerry plays you like a puppet, you really are a muppet, it's fourth and one, don't do it, just clap your hands. Okay, thankfully we record this on a Monday and not a Sunday, so we can probably curtail the language slightly. Lawrence, you seem even more wound up than me, my friend, so I'm going to come to you first for Jason Garrett Corner. Who are you throwing in there? I am throwing in Coach Bill Callahan, not the real coach, the interim coach. Because obviously after we sacked Gruden, thank goodness, we've moved on to Bill Callahan, who has managed to have a bit of pride for the Redskins season. He has managed to get the team running the ball effectively, but that's pretty much it. So it's not going to make a jot of difference to the fact that Bill Callahan will be gone at the end of week 17 as the Redskins head coach. But even if he beats the Cowboys next Sunday and sends them tumbling out of the playoffs like a burnt turkey at the top of a helter-skelter, he's going to be remembered for freezing in terms of a coaching decision. After coming back from a 14-point half-time deficit against an equally poor 3-11 New York Giants team, what does he go and do? We go and score two touchdowns in the fourth quarter, courtesy of Adrian Peterson and a Case Keenum contested kind of dive, fumble, rooski kind of thing, but eventually he gets the touchdown. So we're down 34-35, 29 seconds left. Game doesn't matter a jot, neither of the team's going anywhere. Let's go for the two-pointer. Let's try and win it at the end. Let's try and seal the win, and if we go down, we go down in flames. No, no. I'm going to be really conservative, and I'm going to bring on Dustin Hopkins and kick the extra point. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, we're going to go into overtime. And, and I just had a bad feeling as soon as that happened. And quite rightly, Giants won the toss in overtime. And like a carving knife through goose fat, Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley, 11-play drive, ends up with Daniel Jones' fifth passing touchdown of the game to, and a fully deserved victory for the Giants. So my conclusion here is, if you behave like a chicken, it's highly likely you're going to take a stuffing. 
<laughs> well, that's it. these festive puns just keep on coming tonight, don't they, mate? You're on top form. Um, right, my turn. Let's get Freddie back in his regular corner, what seems to be the case. I'm, I'm making a convincing argument to rename this corner, and I certainly think Jason Garrett will be fired in the non-too-distant future, so maybe we will have a name change. Um, Freddie's doing everything he can to get fired, to be fair to him. Um, I, I alluded to when we whizzed through the games, the Browns, to be fair dominated probably the first 28 minutes of the game on Sunday. I say 28 minutes, it was just shy of that because with two minutes and five seconds left in the first half, the Browns have a third and one um, from around about their own 35-yard line, I want to say. And as what seems to be a regularity now, rather than just dialing up you know, to the league's leading rusher in Nick Chubb, a simple, you know, up the gut, we'll, we'll claw out a yard and you know that'll take us to the two-minute warning. We try a ridiculous reverse pitch to halfback Kareem Hunt, who's then supposed to throw the ball up the field to receivers that aren't open anyway, end up taking an eight-yard loss. So you punt the ball away at the two-minute warning. Lo and behold, Baltimore, who'd done nothing all game, I think we were texting yesterday, mate, and you know Lamar Jackson had had 20-something yards up to the two-minute warning. Yeah. Lo and behold, two plays later, 69 yards, and the Ravens are in the end zone and take the lead 7-6. Uh, so what do you do just to compound your error? You come out and you call three straight passing plays, three straight incompletions, and give the ball back to the Ravens yet again, who, of course, go down the field and score another touchdown. So from the Browns being 6-0 up, driving with the ball, Baltimore with no timeouts and looking to run out the clock for the half, you end up giving them the ball not once but twice and giving up not one but two touchdowns. And going in with a deficit. Compounding this is the fact that you won the toss earlier and deferred. Uh, sorry, didn't defer. So Baltimore were also getting the ball in the start of the second half. Um, so, you know, that just adds to the confusion and, and the, the stupidity around the play calling. And then even when the Browns decide to show a little bit of fight and bring it back to a nine-point ball game, rather than kick a extra point to keep it then to a one-possession game the Browns actually go for two and subsequently miss the two-point conversion I know there's some people that will think it's a good idea and um, you then know that you need two scores but you know general wisdom says that you try and keep it competitive for as long as you can and the longer you've got it at a one score game the better um, so conventional wisdom would say that you kick the extra point particularly in a game against a team that let's face it you are the inferior opponent to um, so just yet again, another masterful display of ineptitude from quite possibly the most underachieving first year head coach there has possibly ever been. I would um, probably go as far oh, as saying oh, that, my friend. That's a bit harsh. That's a bit harsh. I mean, it, it was, I think they, they flashed up a stat, didn't they, about Lamar Jackson, that he he's, he led the team to three touchdowns in, in under nine minutes between the end of the first half and the start of the second half. And then just just one little side note on Lamar Jackson. I mean, it's it's highly, highly, highly unlikely that he's even going to see a snap um, in week 17. It's probably going to be all RG3, which is a shame for all you, all you fantasy addicts because Lamar Jackson sits at 1.4 points, according to ESPN, behind the greatest fantasy season in NFL history, behind Patrick Mahomes' season from last year. So if Lamar Jackson even had, you know, one drive next week, he'd break the all-time fantasy single scoring record. So, yeah, it, it doesn't rain, it pours, doesn't it, for the Browns? Certainly does, mate. At least there's only one week left. Right, that's me and you having a little bit of a vent out the way. Let's get back to some festivities and getting a good mood, mate. Let's have some Christmas spirit. Let's have a look at some stats. 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 Okay, Lawrence, this is the part of the pod where you certainly come into your own, my friend. So hit me with your first bit of brilliance this week. I've got to, I've got to be a bit of a homer this week. It's Adrian Peterson and his 111th touchdown of his career. Moved him past the, the legendary sweetness, Walter Payton, to the fourth all-time. 
what I actually admired the most um, wasn't the touchdown itself. It was what Adrian Peterson did after the game when he tweeted out a picture of himself pointing up to the heavens and the text in the tweet simply had a, the, the hands kind of pointing up emoji and the words water patent. And I just think that was a really nice touch that not only was he paying tribute to, to Walter Payton when he, as soon as he scored that touchdown, he kind of did it afterwards as well. Because anyone who's kind of, I mean, I remember Walter Payton's last game. Um, and ironically, it was against the Redskins in the 87-88 playoffs. And it was a divisional game. And there's an image of Walter Payton sitting um, on the bench just kind of with his head in his hands. And I, I read something many, many years afterwards that he actually orchestrated that. It was, it was, it was kind of a, a pre-planned sort of image of him. And he wanted to be on his own. He wanted to be alone to remember his last game. So I always think back to that game. And, it, you know, this is 1987. So I was only, I was only 13 years old, but I, I specifically remember. And the whole kind of legend of water painting. So for anyone to pass that in terms of rushing touchdowns, I think is is quite momentous. No, absolutely. His stellar career continues and, you know, congratulations to him if you're in that kind of company. You're obviously doing things well. Um, next one is from me and it's a little bit of a combination actually of a full 10 questions as well as stats live so Lawrence you probably know the answer because we've shared this on the group text but there is only one player who was caught a touchdown for the Buffalo Bills this season and last season the answer ladies and gents is the offensive lineman Dion Dawkins that's unbelievable, isn't it? Not a running back, not a tight end, not a wide receiver. An offensive lineman has become the most consistent and reliable touchdown catcher for the Buffalo Bills. Um, he caught a one-yarder from Josh Allen this week. So, yeah, little nugget there. They've obviously gone through some rotation at the wide receiver position. But unbelievable that one season to the next, only one guy has caught a pass in each, and that is a lineman. So, there you go. Lawrence, back to you, mate. Um, it's another it's another Julio Julio masterpiece. So Atlanta Falcons receiver Julio Jones became just on Sunday the fastest wide receiver to reach twelve thousand yards. Did it seventeen games quicker than Jerry Rice, and on his current pace, he's actually got he's kind of a season ahead of Jerry Rice. He also passed Michael Irvin in terms of the all-time yardage as well, and he's now 26th in NFL history. It's, um, it's a remarkable thing, considering the kind of the, the in-and-out nature of the, the Falcons, but Julio has just been an absolute monster. And I think if you had him on your fantasy team during the fantasy playoffs, you probably won a championship because of Julio's performance in the last couple of weeks. So absolute credit to him. He's only 30 years old. Um, the pace that he's on, it's going to be tough for him to, to ultimately break Jerry Rice's all-time record because that is something completely insane. But he does stand a chance. If he stays injury-free and lasts up until when Jerry Rice was playing, which is over 40 years old, there's a possibility he could he'd write his name into pretty much every receiving record going. Yeah, he's certainly been a hell of a player and uh, he uh, you know, potentially, like you say, got plenty left in the tank. Uh, let's go defensive for the next one. I talked about two good defences on show on the Saturday night game between the Patriots and Bills. And Stefan Gilmore actually allowed his first touchdown in coverage this season when John Brown beat him on that 53-yard score. That leaves the Bills' Tredavious White as the player with the most targets in coverage now without allowing a touchdown this season. And we've talked about how good White has been, mate. You know how many targets he's faced without giving up a touchdown? 83. Oh. 83. Wow. So, wow. he's and having he's, he's, one he, hell of a year. He got a pro bowl nod, didn't he? He did, deservedly so. He was the only Bill that did, and I thought that was a bit of a disgrace, to be honest. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. I did yeah. say, didn't I, a couple of weeks ago that I thought the Bills' secondary as a whole deserves recognition. So, hopefully with the All-Pro team and the ultimate shut your mouth is what they're doing in the playoffs. So, kind of, it doesn't matter about kind of those sorts of accolades. If they can, if they can somehow make it to an AFC Championship game, that, that would be the, 
the true kind of, you know, crowning glory for that secondary. Yep, absolutely, mate. Do you want to finish us off, mate, with uh, one final one on the Christmas edition? Yeah, it's just it's just a it's just a tiddler, really. The Baltimore Ravens have secured the number one seed, as you said. But interestingly, it's the first time in the team's history that they've actually become the the number one seed going into the playoffs. This, despite the fact they've won two Super Bowls. And then just to kind of put the absolute flip side on it, as we said, elsewhere in the AFC North, the Cincinnati Bengals lost to the Dolphins. And that means the Bungles are now guaranteed the number one pick. So we've got a division with the best team in the NFL and the worst team. Yeah, no, absolutely, mate. Absolutely. Um, they you know, have been you know, easily the most impressive side. The record suggests that they, they've been a joy to watch, to be fair, from a neutral's perspective. And uh, it will be interesting come the playoffs. Can that offence continue to roll? It's, it's so frustrating watching it against you because you know what's coming. Um, but being able to stop it is a different matter altogether. Right, that's the end of third down. Let's move across to fourth as we get caught up on the playoff picture. And also, as a Brucey bonus, as it's Christmas, we'll start previewing week 17. Fourth down. So, as it's Christmas and we're all busy tucking into whatever goodies Santa has left for us, we're only recording one podcast this week, so we're going to do a bit of a whistle-stop tour of week 17 as we bring you up to speed with the playoff picture and I'm going to start us off in the AFC where the only thing left to play for now really is the final wildcard spot and there are still three teams vying for that position. We've got the Tennessee Titans who hold the keys as things stand and they have a huge divisional matchup, a repeat of last weekend's encounter with the Houston Texans in a game that, as I've alluded to, Derrick Henry has been rested specifically for. Um, It looks as though the Titans will go up against the Texans starters, even though the Texans aren't likely to move. I don't even think they can move now from the four seed. Um, So the Texans really with nothing to play for. So that surely plays into the Titans' hands in this one. Look for Ryan Tannehill to continue his excellent um, form, as we alluded to earlier. He had himself another nice game on Sunday. And the Titans have been very streaky, haven't they? They've gone on winning runs and then they've gone on losing runs. And that's been the knock on them for not just this year, for the last three or four years, really. That nagging inconsistency, just when you think they've turned the corner, they will put a couple of defeats on the board. But all things point to them, you know, being the ones to sort of get the job done on Sunday. That's also coupled with the fact that the Steelers, who are also still in contention, have the enviable task of the Ravens. However, as we've alluded to, that may become a little bit easier as it looks as though the Ravens will not suit up Lamar Jackson, will not suit up um, Mark Ingram, will not suit up Mark Andrews. So a number of the key Baltimore Ravens pieces will not be playing in this game. However, with that being said, obviously this is an opportunity for the guys coming off the bench to state their claims for some playing time once the playoffs do get off and running. Um, and the Steelers, as we've alluded to, you know, still a bit of a carousel at the quarterback position. And they've, you know, again, outperformed probably their talent level this year. They've been well coached, well drilled. Um, but, you know, the Ravens probably, even with their secondary team, are likely to start this one as favourites. The final team that are in contention, and I said it wasn't beyond the realms of possibility, are the Oakland Raiders as they take on the Denver Broncos. And obviously for the Raiders to sneak in, they need to win and hope the other two games go in their favour. So, like I say, not probably the worst um, set of schedules for the Raiders for that to become a reality. They take on a Bronco side who, again, have been inconsistent of late. Some good performances and some indifferent ones. Same can be said, really, for the Raiders. Don't really know which Raiders team are going to turn up. But they're the three big games that we've got in the AFC this weekend. There can not be any movement with the number one seed. That's obviously locked in as the Ravens. The two could flip. So the Chiefs and the Patriots could flip. Um Texans locked in at the four, Bills locked in at the five, and the six is still to play for. Just to whiz through the fixtures, we won't give you any sort of detail on them, but the Bills and the Jets will get it on. Patriots and Dolphins, Chiefs and Chargers, 
Bengals and Browns, Jaguars and Colts, and the three games that I've mentioned, they wrap up the AFC for Week 17. Lawrence, going to come across to you, mate, for the NFC. And the only thing left up for grabs, we've been speculating it would end up this way, of course, is the NFC East Divisional Crown. Yeah, and it's all it's all being kept in the NFC East for Week 17 for a, for a second consecutive week. We've got the Eagles at 8-7, and seven, travelling to the Giants at 4-11. and 11, And we've got the 3-12 and 12 Redskins coming over to Texas, to Jerry's World facing a seven and eight Cowboys team. And what makes this kind of pairing even more fun is both games are being played at the same time, both in the 9.25 p.m. UK window. So both sets of fans are going to be reacting to mobile phone alerts all over the place in the stadium, all around the world, as they make their way through cyberspace. So it's it's this is a... This is a great kind of it's 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 if you're going to be watching it on on red zone you you can imagine you've got the the split screen split screen going on quite a lot of the game and Scott Hansen's going to get quite excited I think throughout um throughout week 17 with these games because you say most of it's settled you got that you got that kind of AFC wild card and you've got this divisional race still got you still you know still going ahead. The, it's going to come down to the if the Redskins can prove to be the ultimate Christmas present that they can give to their Burgundy and Gold faithful by beating the Cowboys and giving them a proverbial lump of coal. I mean, it could actually be double Black Monday, regardless if the Cowboys win, as the as an Eagles win would move them to nine and seven, and that would would be it. The Cowboys simply couldn't get there. So both Jason Garrett and Bill Callahan, I think, are likely going to be coaching their last Redskins-Cowboys game in both their respective careers. The Eagles have got a really manageable um, game to win against the Giants. Defence that allows 375 yards a game is 25th against the pass, 19th ranked against the run and 29th in terms of points allowed. So when you're going into potentially win a division and you're facing a team that Yes, they've got they've got some offensive firepower, but their defense barely exists, and and that was proven, you know, by the Redskins. And I think the the fact that the Redskins put thirty five points up against them is 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 a shocker because I don't think we scored thirty five points all season. So if Carson Wentz, the Eagles quarterback, brings his form from last Sunday's win against the Cowboys, it's going to be an absolute Christmas cracker for the Eagles fans who famously threw snowballs at Santa Claus. So, you know, this is an Eagles fans that, that are remembered for, for being mean at Christmas, but there'll be, there'll be no Grinches if they win the NFC East. Cowboys have actually shown that, um, you know, teamwork is actually far more important than individual talent because as a team, they, they're full of talent with, with Zeke, Dak, Amari Cooper and a really well-paid offensive line. And they should have actually sewn up this division by, you know, week 14, week 15. But instead, we get to see Jerry Jones trying to bore holes in the plexiglass window of his private box as the team tries to find ways to make viewing a trifle difficult. I mean, I'm going to have my mince pies glued in front of this game on Sunday, hoping that Adrian Peterson somehow gets 180 yards on the ground to reach 1,000. I suspect it's not going to happen and the Cowboys win handsomely. But I've also seen the Eagles having a Merry Christmas pudding. Sorry, a Merry Christmas pudding up to 30-something against the Giants. So I see both the Giants losing and the Redskins losing. And that gives the Philadelphia Eagles the NFC East and the number four seed. Yeah, it's certainly going to be an interesting one in that late window. Um, obviously, the rest of the NFC, we've alluded to Monday Night Football, not yet happened at the time of recording. But these positions could end up anywhere, as we know. So, the rest of the schedule in the NFC, Lions and Packers, Vikings and Bears, Panthers, Saints, Buccaneers, Falcons, Rams, Cardinals, and of course, the final big one. Just get your opinion on this game, mate, before we get the referees running towards us. Seahawks 49ers, possibly 
the game of the season in waiting in terms of the regular season. It's obviously going to decide that NFC West crown. Which way do you see it going? I am going with the home team. I'm going with the Seahawks. I think Russell Wilson will be absolutely seething after that that game, which they really, really should have won against the Cardinals. And And I think this is where Russell Wilson will just go into a different mode. I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo, yes, to his credit, he has been really good, but he's he's thrown 13 picks this season, and I, I can see him um, just going slightly off the boil. So I've got the Seahawks, but it's going to be a squeaker, and it's I think it's going to be an absolutely, absolutely brilliant game, and I, I look forward to everyone watching that. And I keep saying I'm going to stay up for um, things like Sunday Night Football and not lasting but I'm going to pour myself some extra coffees and actually stay up for this one because it does mark the end of the regular season as well. So, you know, really, really good way to sign out the end of the end of the the normal part of the season before we hit the playoffs. Yeah, should be a good one. We've written the 49ers off all year, so I would not be surprised if they pull out yet another improbable victory on the road. Um, yeah, like you say, good way to end the regular season potentially. Right, mate, those referees are running at us, so let's get out of here. Time for the two-minute warning. That's the two-minute warning. Okay, round-up time, and as it is Christmas, I'll be completely honest, not exactly sure what time everything's going to hit your eyes and ears this week at full 10 yards. As we've alluded to, we're only doing the one podcast this week. The guys in college are taking a week off also for Christmas, but they'll be back next week. Uh, and we will be back to review week 17 at some point next week on Monday in all likelihood. There will be some written content though. Tim has been beavering away behind the scenes at the full 10 takeaways as usual. So that will be coming your way very, very shortly. And one final bit of important news. We had the competition drawn last week and the original winner did not come forward within the specified time to claim the prize. So unfortunately for the Ginger Prince, we don't believe it was Andy Dalton, um, but whoever the Ginger Prince is, unfortunately (laughs) missed the deadline. So it has been redrawn. And I'm delighted to say that Michael Lavery 98 on Twitter You are now the winner of the mini helmet. So if you can get in touch with us on the Twitter, we will sort you out with your prize. Um, As with the previous one, you will have a week in which to do so. So the time will start ticking once this podcast is dropped. So hopefully you get in touch and we can give that giveaway away to you. A nice little bonus Christmas present for you there. Uh, Lawrence, it would be a miss of me to end the podcast without saying, what are your plans for the festive season, my friend? Well, not making any more beds. That's the first thing. (laughs) (laughs) The the second thing, I think, is going to be eating lots of Pringles and finally catching up with some Christmas movies. Um, My personal favourite Christmas movie is Jingle All The Way, closely followed by Bad Santa. And yes, Die Hard is a Christmas movie. And I'm also looking forward to seeing the animated version of The Tiger Who Came to Tea. Because I've, you know, I've read that to my kids hundreds of times. So getting to see it with a bit of Robbie Williams music, I think it's going to be brilliant. So what about you, Sean? What's your, what's your favourite Christmas movie and what, what are you up to? So favourite Christmas movie, mate, is Home Alone 1 or Home Alone 2. Don't go any further than that in the box set, though, folks, because you will be utterly disappointed. But the two originals <laughs> with Macaulay Culkin um, are excellent, in my opinion. Um, looking forward to spending time with friends and family, mate, really. That's what Christmas is all about. I'll be doing the Christmas dinner on the big day itself. So look forward to that. And I suppose, you know, just to sort of sign off from both of us, a massive thank you to all of our friends and families at this time of year. You know, we do this out the the love of the game, but that obviously takes us away from people throughout the week. So a big thank you to each and every one of them for their patience and perseverance with us. And a massive thank you to all of our friends that listen and all of our followers that review our content and listen to us 
I've got a friend, I won't name names to embarrass them, but they listen to this podcast every week without even really having a great appreciation of the NFL just to support me. So massive, massive thank you. And like I say, from me, Lawrence, and the rest of the guys at Full 10 Yards, we hope you have a fabulous Christmas, a wonderful new year. And if your team are in playoff contention, we look forward to getting back behind the microphones and discussing them as we get set for the playoffs next week. So, without further ado, let's wrap up officially, mate, and let's say goodbye from Lawrence. Take care. Give everyone a big Christmas hug, because as you say, Sean, it's all about family. So, Merry Christmas, everybody. Cheers, buddy. Merry Christmas to you and to yours, my friend. And for the final time before Christmas, in the great words of Kevin Cadle, it's bye-bye for now. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Full 10 Yards podcast. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter at Full 10 Yards or email the show full10yards at gmail.com.